Welcome to the flip side. Galen Clavio here, along with Brian Moritz. Happy Memorial Day to all of you, as we had a great Memorial Day weekend out here in the Midwest. And, and Brian, I'm assuming you had a great one as well up in the uh, the, the upper tier of states there. Yes, it, it, it was very good. I know it, it's kind of uh, not cool to say Happy Memorial Day based on what the... Uh, uh, on the spirit of the holiday, but in terms of long weekend, beginning of summer, symbolic, which we're going to talk about later on in the episode, it was it was it was very good. We had fantastic weather. It was actually felt like Fourth of July weather up this way. It was very very Same hot, here. very humid. Um, so yeah, it was it, it was a really good time. Um, and somehow it's June tomorrow, and I don't know where May went. It was really weird. Um, <laughs> I know where my May went. My, uh, my, I left my May in Europe. I think. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. So yeah. So we've got some. We've got some good topics from our listeners uh, today. Uh, Galen, you came up with some very good topics to uh, to talk about. Um, kind I of felt a- like I wasn't pulling my weight. I, I felt <laughs> like I had to like contribute somehow, and so I, I tried to actually put a solid like five to 10 minutes of prep in on the show before we did it. So that, yeah. that, 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 and that is, you know, that's what we owe you, the listeners as we're in season <laughs> two. Now that's really the, the service um, that we want to bring. Um, keeping with tradition. Uh, what is your microbrew of the night? I uh, had an easy chair, uh, Amber ale from, uh, from, from uh, Upland brewing company. I, I keep rotating through the various uplands, uh, but yeah, the easy chair, good, uh, good, solid brew. Actually, much better, I think, than the uh, the previous amber that they had, which was called the Rad Red. I, I didn't like that one quite as much. This one's a little smoother. All right, I'm going with a repeat that I had uh, from season one, the uh, Stainless Steel IPA from the IBA from the Elkaville Brewing Company. Nice. Um, we we kind of torched through our our North Carolina beer supply with the holiday weekend. I was wondering. Um, the, the best name I have a couple left, but I didn't want to. I, I want to keep a couple of them in the fridge. But the best, the best name we actually had was a, a beer called Bitter Unicorn Tears. <laughs> uh, and it was I forget I forget I forget the brewer, brewery that made it. And it was a decent enough beer. It wasn't fantastic, but obviously you have a can that says Bitter Unicorn Tears in the beer store. You're buying that first and asking questions later. So yeah, I, I, at least I do. Yes. So what what was it again? Um, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of a, a, almost a white IPA, kind of like a, it had, had that, that feeling to it. Um, I did, I did forget to mention last week that when I was, we were at the, uh, at the beer store down in uh, North Carolina where we were stocking up, they were, one of the guys there was either the bartender or one of the, the distributors who was hanging out was, uh, touting their big selection of sour beers that they had (laughs) behind the counter, um, so bring it, bring it full circle. I did establish that my father-in-law, who's a, who's a huge craft beer connoisseur, also not a big fan of sour beer. So I'm now mm-hmm. I'm starting to wonder who are the sour beer fans? Like where where do these people exist? Yeah, I, I, I like I said, I've only heard of them heard of it through you, and then at this at this mention mentioning it at the uh, at the beer store, and it wouldn't have registered to me at all if we hadn't talked about it on previous episodes. But um, I'm becoming suspicious. Yes, um, I think I think big craft beer is lying to you. Big big craft <laughs> beer, I love it. That's great. So, um, which one of these do you want to tackle first? Uh, why don't uh, let's see. Let's do since they're kind of related. Let's start with the uh, fan culture kind of writing about video yeah. games stuff. Because so, that kind of ties into one of your other topics as well. They're so, sort of related. So I sent Brian this this link earlier today, and it's interesting. So um, it's it's curious to me how there is a the attitude of people online when it comes to certain things, particularly things I think that have a culture to them, um, engenders a a large degree of what we would probably consider antisocial behavior. So the genesis for this. I don't know how many of you are into video games, but there's a video game that has been uh, in development and announced and and very much salivated over by by certain video game players. Uh, and it's called No Man's Sky, and uh, this is this is an open world 
uh, immersive environment space exploration simulation. I can already hear half the audience, maybe <laughs> maybe four-fifths of the audience falling asleep with that. But uh, actually, I'm very excited by this game, too. It looks amazing. The, the premise of the game is basically you are piloting a ship that is surveying distant worlds. You land on the worlds. You get to map them. And the, it's it's basically the the whole universe is procedurally generated and there's like billions of stars and so everybody can explore and nobody's going to run into anybody else in the game it's kind of like the whole point it's it's so anyway they've they've shown clips of it the clips look awesome it was supposed to be released i think in july and so kotaku i think is how you pronounce it which is like gawker's video game uh publication online they wrote an article last week saying uh, that there was a, a rumor that they were confirming through anonymous sources that this game, No Man's Sky, was going to be delayed. Uh, and, you know, there was going to be a delay in release. And it immediately created this firestorm of controversy. And the writer re- uh, actually received at least one death threat uh, on Twitter, which he re it was in a DM, which he, he republished for everybody to see. And then as it turned out, the rumor was accurate and the publisher of the game announced that the game was going to be delayed. Uh, the release was going to be delayed. And then he came out and said that he had received death threats for announcing that the game was going to be delayed. And this is not the only time that we've seen this and it's not just a video game thing obviously we've seen it with sports reporting we've seen it with other things but people you know there's 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 a lot of death threats there's a lot of threats of bodily harm there's a lot of of uh of really you know kind of fascinatingly ugly uh commentary that ends up popping up around stuff like this and so you know i saw that and i wanted to talk about it on the show because i'm curious to get your thoughts on this and also to express my own thoughts of, you know, what is it that bringing things to, to this level? Like, how is it that we've gotten to a point where that sort of, of action that, you know, uh, threatening death or bodily harm to a reporter or to a video game developer is considered to be just an acceptable sort of thing that you would do. Uh, you know, how did we get to this point? Um, well, Thankfully, in a lot of ways, it's not acceptable. Like, I don't think, you know, it's still, you know, very much illegal and very much frowned upon and very much not a good thing to be threatening death, to be threatening, you know, sexual assault to women sports reporters, um, threatening violence, all these things. Um, I I, I guess a couple, you know, I, I feel like there are a lot of different factors. And obviously, this is something you've studied a lot more than I have in depthly uh, from the academic perspective. I think obviously we've talked on this show, I'm pretty sure about the idea of the online disinhibition, disinhibition effect, which for the, for, you know, I, now everyone else is asleep, but that's just basically <laughs> the idea that when you're the, the theory that when you're online, you are, you, you feel dis in it, you, you feel fewer inhibitions in expressing Beliefs, thoughts, actions, whatever opinions, than you would in a nor than, than you would in a face to face or more of a traditional social setting. So you kind of feel, you know, to put a positive spin on it, you feel a little bit freer to kind of express yourself. Um, and I think that that we we've seen that, and obviously there are ton there's tons of research and a lot of entertainment and uh, sports and news fields about this on how it. You know, people take, you know, looking at the comment section or tweets or online online engagement and just it's a lot easier. You know, it, it's probably a lot harder to say I'm going to kill you for reporting that this game isn't going to be uh, published rather than typing it out. Also, you know, social media you know, it related to the fact I think social media is not to blame for it, but I think it makes it a heck of a lot easier. People are accessible on that. You know, you can talk to you can talk to writers, you can and, and expect them to write back. It speeds up the communication. It doesn't it 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 it's more just to me, more just a conduit for it than a blaming for it. It's not Twitter has its own problems with harassment and that's a whole other topic. But I think that for the most part, 
it's you know it, it, it's more general online behavior that's just kind of sped up and accelerated through the social media space. And I also I, I see your quizzical face, and and I'll I'll, I'll let you sh- tell me how I'm wrong. But um, but I but I also feel like weirdly and i've been reading a lot about this lately i've been reading a lot about the new ghostbusters movie uh that's coming out and like about fan culture and about kind of geek culture and that's said with love that's when i say geek culture we're talking about like comic books gaming um that kind of area of pop culture and and it does you know it, it does seem in a weird way like the, the the surge in popularity in a lot of these properties and like Marvel getting hugely popular and and DC getting popular and video gaming being what it is you know a huge huge industry there's almost a huge sense of almost entitlement I think from a lot of people within that culture and um, I don't know. I haven't thought about it too, too in-depthly, but I just, I, I, I really do kind of get that, that sense that it's kind of like a perfect swell of I'm entitled to this, to this game, this, you know, movie property, this comic book, whatever, and I have the ability to contact and write the people who are directly putting it out, and I know they're going to see it, and I know they have to see it. It's not like sending someone a letter or even an email that might not be checked. Like you know, they're they're there and they're reading this, and now I have their attention, and I can I can express myself, and I can instantly express how mad I am. You know, a games I find out this game that I'm really looking forward to and is really important to me. Excuse me, isn't coming out. And then all of a sudden, I'm angry about it, and now I can instantly express that emotion in the moment directly to the people involved in that. I, I think that plays that that that's kind of like that perfect swell of everything to me. Okay, that's interesting. See, okay, I I'm with you on the online disinhibition effect thing to some degree, but I feel like there's a there's a distance that still needs to be covered between. Online disinhibition, feeling feeling like you can say something to somebody that you wouldn't say in person, and automatically defaulting to threats of death or bodily harm. Like I feel like there's a big there's a big psychological and emotional leap that you would think has to be made between point A and point B there, and I, and I don't know that that's been effectively explored yet. Is like it's not just that I tell this person that they're a jerk. It's that I tell them I'm going to kill them or that, you know, or something like that. That's where I'm I'm kind of hung up on all of this. It's like um, I don't know. I don't know that we can. I don't even know if there's necessarily something within society that I would like to blame for this or anything, because it feels like it comes from a bunch of different locations. You know, it's (laughs) like the the you know, one of the one of the things that's been interesting is that, you know, for many years, People uh, talked breathlessly, certain people talked breathlessly about the the potential dangers of uh, exposure to violent video games or things like that. And before that, it was exposure to violent movies or whatever. And it's like, it feels like the biggest violence exposure risk that people face is other human beings that they meet online. Mm -hmm. Because to me... And I don't have any, I have no empirical data to back this up. This is just spitballing thoughts. But it almost feels like people feel emboldened to act this way because they are around other people who have similar views and act in similar ways towards other people. And there's a kind of a strength in numbers thing in that sort of a reactionary element. I mean, we, okay, Gamergate is something I think that falls into this category to a large degree. You know, it's not just that um, people, you know, were, were uh, being, were harassing and threatening uh, this, these, these particular women who were involved in reviewing a video games or video game journalism or what have you. It was that there was a, a critical mass of people who felt the same way and therefore almost created a kind of a tribal approach. Yeah. And, to- and, and, and really, sorry to cut you off, but really snowballs and feeds into each other. Like, like it is like that snowball rolling down a hill. Like it really kind of just feeding into it. And like, yeah, almost like a, you know, this is some more, more loaded than a tribal mentality, but almost like that gang mentality of like kind of yeah. a big swarm. Well, and I guess the question then comes down to, is what people say online 
something that should be taken seriously. Um, now, that's easy for me to say as somebody who has not been had their life threatened online or what have you. But 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 bear with me on this. As, no, as, as, no. As, as, I've got a place to go with this too. So as, I, an, intele- as an intellectual exercise, it's like, and, and even the the, the Kotaku uh, writer even said, "I didn't really think this guy was, you know, was was a threat to me." And you learn to grow a pretty thick skin uh, when you're a video game journalist. Um, but it does make me wonder, like you know, the it feels like to some degree death threats, threats of physical violence, swatting. Uh, you know, those sorts of things are people pushing buttons that normally create action in um, the physical plane of existence as opposed to the digital plane of existence, where it's like, okay, if I threaten somebody, if I threaten the president's life, that's going to create a response. Well, now, you know, now it's like, okay, now I'm going to threaten an individual who is somewhat known because they have a public persona and that's going to create a response. And I get an emotionally satisfactory, an emotionally satisfied response out of seeing that take place. The fact that, you know, the, the cops get called or, or, you know, this person has to cancel their social media accounts or what have you. Right. Um, I don't have any intention probably of following through on this, but I get an emotional thrill out of the process. So I guess, you know, I guess the problem is as long as we're taking these things seriously, we continue to provide currency to that sort of behavior. And I do wonder to some degree if we're not hurting our existence as uh, online individuals by continuing to breathe oxygen into the fire of online threats, you know, but I don't know where the balance there is because on the one hand, it's like, well, you you can't disregard them because what if they're real, but it's like, they're almost never real. And they're almost always done from a mischief perspective or from a, we're angry and we're expressing ourselves in ways that are societally inappropriate. Um, It's, it's a tough, it's a conundrum really trying to figure out how to balance those two things. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I will, first of all, I, I, I sort of agree with you and sort of disagree with you. You know, having, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we watched and we talked about the uh, the more than mean uh, video, the Julia yes. DeCaro video. And, you know, you know, and, and seeing that reaction and the important kind of discussion that that leads to it, it's kind of, you know, on one hand, you don't want to say, well, that's just people trying to get a reaction out of you. Like, that's still not, that doesn't make it okay behavior just because they don't mean, they don't oh, really mean it. And I, I know you're not saying, I know I you're not saying it was okay. Right. That, that's no. not my point. Right. And, you know, I, I understand that. Um, But one of the things that it's interesting when you brought up, uh, bringing up what people say online taking it seriously i often i've often wondered about that because i i often wonder it when um less with this but more more like when like you'll see like a buzzfeed story like the 30 most racist things said about miss america or like you know you know calling out racist people on you know people for like tweeting something racist or sexually offensive or whatever um and I often, and I often, I, I have always had a problem with that. I'm never a big fan of vigilante justice on the internet and kind of ganging, you know, ganging up on people either way on it. And you know, yes, I understand words matter, and yes, I understand that it's important, you know, that we kind of draw a line in the sand of what's acceptable and what's not, especially in an online space. But I often do wonder, like, how many of those people actually meant it or were they just, hey, I'm being funny and I'm typing something stupid and I'm going to get a, or I'm going to, like you say, I'm going to get a reaction. I'm going to get on that stupid list of, uh, you know, I'm going to get noticed for it or something like that. And as as far as kind of what's fueling it, all I can, all that comes up to me, all that was coming to me is this idea of kind of like almost self-righteous belief in, whatever you and and it's a weird self-righteous belief in a video game or a sports team that that kind of such identification with it that you call it that that you know a gamer gate a journalist in Gamergate gets swatted so they call the the the, the online the their like troll for lack of a better word will call the police and say something's happening at this person's apartment send a swat team to there 
um, or something like that. And I, and I always just, I, I feel like that they just kind of feel like, well, they had it coming. Like, good. They, that's what they get. I feel like that's kind of like, like, that's kind of like the underlying mentality on it. You know, you reported that my game is not going to be, this game I want is not going to be published. Well, this is what you get for saying that. And I think that there's a lot of self-righteousness to it. And I feel like that, um, like you were saying, with that kind of tribal mentality of this is what they get for it, you get a lot of people cheering them on and saying, yeah, this is what they get. And I don't know. I, uh, it's not pleasant. You know, I'm, there, there are some days when I'm really glad I don't write for a living anymore yeah. um, because, of, because of this stuff. Because it's, um, well, what because- did you think of that announcement today about Twitter and Facebook and Microsoft and everybody – uh, you know, really policing online speech more. Did I you see that? I didn't see it. Let me look. You, why don't you, if you can give us like a Cliff Notes version of it, and I'll look yeah. it up real quick. Well, basically, um, what, this was this was something that I saw. Oh, YouTube too. Yeah, YouTube, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Microsoft adopted the code of conduct that uh, the EU uses to combat hate speech. Okay. Um, it's committing to crack down on the use of online hate speech swiftly by putting in place internal procedures to respond to the majority of notifications of abuse within 24 hours and remove the offending content if necessary. Okay. So this, so this is interesting to me um, because this is, this is kind of the flip side of the same question I just posed you. So the question I posed you was basically – if if people aren't serious about threats, even if they're if it's like the more than mean stuff, if they're not serious about it, should we pay it any mind? Um, is it just is it just an unfortunate artifact of the online environment where it's very difficult, if not impossible, to police everything and and everything that everybody says? Mm-hmm. Um, so do you just not worry about it? And again, easy for me to say since I'm not generally the target of such things. But then you have this, which, you know, is which the announcement that the EU had, uh, you know, was that and I'm quoting all of this out of this this article. Um, the recent terror attacks have reminded us of the urgent need to address illegal online hate speech. Social media is unfortunately one of the tools that terrorist groups use to radicalize young people and racists use to spread violence and hatred. See, to me, that statement is two totally different things there. Yeah. I mean, that's, there's two totally different concepts. Like you, you're going from um, terrorists radicalizing people and racists saying things that that spread hatred, right? Um, like t- to me, while both are repugnant, they're both very different sorts of right. things. And you worry that okay, if on the flip side the idea is we're going to eradicate everything that somebody considers hateful or hate speech, doesn't that create a whole different set of problems that maybe? arguably worse than the initial set of problems that we had. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you think about it, you know, I teach media law usually once a year and it comes to the idea like a true threat is not considered, is not protected speech. Like an actual threat. I was looking up the uh, actual legal definition. I don't want to search DuckDuckGo. I want to look at this page. Uh, <laughs> true threat is a statement in which a speaker expresses a serious intent to commit an act of unlawful violence to a particular individual or group of individuals. And that is completely, that is not at all protected my freedom of speech. But yeah, the, the whole, you know, against racism and, and, and sexism and, and like homophobia and all that. Um, yeah, those are, that's, that's, that's completely, completely different from a, an actual threat, an actual, I'm going to kill you versus just, you know, speech that espouses certain ideals or something like that. And um, yeah. It's, I mean, there's a state like Twitter's head of public policy for Europe said the microblogging site remains, quote, committed to letting the tweets flow. Uh, There is a clear distinction between freedom of expression and conduct that incites violence and hate. Is there? Uh, That's... Yeah, I that's don't. Not, that looks that looks dynamite in a press release, but I'd love yeah, to see the clear distinction that this not, woman's talking about. No, there's not a clear distinction on that because I mean, you can argue that you know Donald Trump has never explicitly threatened another human being, and yet we've all seen the stories about how violence at his rallies, you know, somebody 
you know, people beating up uh, Hispanics and Mexican-Americans or other people that Trump has spoken ill about. And, you know, to argue, you know, yes, he has not actually threatened anybody, but to argue that there's no direct connection, there's no connection between that rhetoric and those actions, I think we can all agree is that's, of course, there's a connection, how strong it is and how direct, you know, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, yeah, I don't, yeah, that's, you know, and, and, you know, it's always, you know, that's the balance that someplace like Twitter takes or someplace like YouTube faces, you know, where it's a, you know, user generated environment. And, you know, I know Twitter has always struggled with the, you know, if somebody is doxing me, I can report them. They can cancel their account. They'll just t- sign up as another egg with another random number and start doing the same thing. Um, and, you know, for some reason, Twitter has been very, very l- slow to kind of take that that idea su- super seriously. You know, there's a lot of press release mumbo jumbo and lip service about it, but they're not really... Um, you know, now we get to have tweets that have photos, don't count the 140 characters, but they're still struggling to, I don't know, it's, it's tough because yeah, you're, you're, you're getting that, that's trying to struggle that strike that balance between that open marketplace of ideas that I think we all appreciate and all benefit from versus, you know, that marketplace, you know, can get, you know, that rep marketplace is not always as self-regulatory as I think maybe it should be. Uh, yeah. Well, it's but it's I guess it's not self-regulatory because it's not a community. Like I mean, the, the, to me, that's that's the biggest thing about online environments, whatever they happen to be. The the best online environments tend to be the most community esque, in that they have finite limits to who's in and who's out, and there's clear definitions and clearly visible authority figures um uh you know that that police the definitions of what is and is not acceptable content and i think part of the the problem you run into twitter facebook whatever the global nature of those networks make them not communities and i think that the the utopian um aspiration that a lot of these tech companies have of creating like a borderless environment where it's just one global community. We're not wired to think that way as human mm-hmm. beings. And it's not to say that through, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of years of evolution, we might not eventually think that way. But right, right now there's, there's nothing defining what the community is and what it isn't. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing going back to the original point before we move on to our next topic. That's kind of what you're seeing. You are seeing clearly defined communities online, video game fans or fans of particular video games. I don't want to throw all video gamers in the same, same hat star Wars fans. There was all these articles. I think you posted one about how, you know, fandom sucks now because people act so entitled about this you know yeah. uh, the ghostbusters movie or this or that or whatever right. but but keep in mind it it only sucks because we've empowered people to form communities around those items and sure. as a result the people that end up feeling their wrath are the ones who in the eyes of the community members threaten something important about that community yes and so and- to some degree we've you know this is where being successful inadvertently creates problems for people who are trying to cover the success of a particular thing or are a a integral part of that success right it's like you know you know uh, abrams did a, a very good job not pissing people off with the force awakens Right. He could have very easily pissed off everybody and had a horrible life for a year. You right. know, what I mean, like yeah. th- that's the risk that you run. Right, and he still did. I mean, there there are parts in that Star Wars community that are upset that you know the lead character is a girl. <gasps> right. Okay. Um. But yeah, and, and that's that's one. You know, one last, you, that's one thing I wanted to bring up. It's like I do think there's a bit of an oversensitivity to dissent among people outside of these communities and sometimes even within the communities it's like Mm -hmm. the i you know um i i I posted some obscure 
subtweet about media over the weekend, which was something along the lines of, you know, in American media, and this isn't just American media, it's almost all media, the words of one or two people are recklessly extrapolated out to represent the entirety of the population. You know, mm-hmm. and it, it happens all the time. Like you'll see, it's like there was that that news that New York Times article that was that was uh, big news. Like I think Friday or Saturday, or maybe it was Sunday, where it had the guy quoted as saying, "You know, well, I'm kind of curious to see what you know what would happen if Trump gets elected because people, you know, people seem to want like violence basically, or they want right. they want yes. things to be all screwed yes. up." Remember that yeah. quote? Yeah, yeah. And that and people were like breathless, it's like I can't believe that somebody said this, and I'm thinking. Okay, you're holding this up as being representative in your mind of what you fear, which is that a bunch of other people feel this way. And I don't know that that's necessarily the case. It's my, you know, you know what it's like collecting quotes. I mean, to some degree, you find the quote that you think represents the, you know, the a position within the story that is going to be provocative. Right. Yes. Uh, not necessarily a position that's representative. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and so I do think that even with stuff like this, that's why I, I wanted to be careful about the video game thing. I don't think that video gamers as a whole act this way, but I think there are some that do. But the idea that some of them do or that some people don't like the fact that that uh, I don't remember the character's name, but the, the female lead right. in Star Wars, that, that that's somehow a terrible thing. Just because those people exist doesn't mean that we need to pay them that much mind. And I feel right. like a lot of times people get upset that those people exist at all. And it's like, welcome to democracy. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, well, and it's funny because I think, you know, to wrap this up, I, th- I feel like um, in a way, you know, our pre, you know, kind of the pre-existing uh, stereotypes of these communities play a role in this too, where you have, you know, oh, look at those nerds getting all fired up about, you know, Ray. her name is Ray. Ray being a girl in the lead in the new Star Wars and how fast she learns the force or these video gamers, you know, it's, you know, we never really question people who get way too emotionally invested in the Dodgers versus the Giants or a sports related thing, because that's a little bit more socially acceptable. Whereas to be super into video games, there's still, I feel like this, this, you know, maybe I'm looking too hard for it, but maybe there's still this too, you know, this kind of, you know, nerd, you know, look at the nerds all in, in their parents' basements doing, you know, focusing on, on, on all this weird stuff. And I don't know. You're right about the communities, though, and, and how those communities kind of grow. And they're not necessarily representative about it um, uh, and about those attitudes on it. Um, so. speaking, of, speaking of conversations and online, like the, the, this was the second thing I wanted to talk about today. Right. Um, the online conversation. Yes. And I've got that both it's, with capitals and with scare quotes. Oh, and it should probably have a registered trademark, a little yes. CM under it. Yes. Along with the Internet Outrage Machine, right? That's another <laughs> yes. one that we have. But um, so for those of you who, who uh, were fortunate enough to just like be on a lake for three days and missed yep. everything. Yep. We're recording uh, this Tuesday, May 31st, by the yes. way, for dates for the last three days, two days, really, but mo- the really three days has been consumed in some corners of the internet, uh, the educated corners, but also the semi-educated corners as well with this debate about the gorilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, now for those, you know, those who didn't see the story, there was a, what a little boy, four-year-old boy, four-year-old boy ended up in the gorilla enclosure at what the Cincinnati zoo. Mm-hmm. And they, um, the, the parents, you know, didn't go in to save the boy. The boy mm-hmm. was okay. The gorilla seemed to not be acting in a hostile manner towards the boy. And the zookeepers had to come in and shoot the gorilla. Right. Um, which set off like two completely different, uh, really three completely different uh, controversies. The first one, the first controversy, if I remember, was, well, why wouldn't you jump in to save your kid if they were in a gorilla enclosure? Right. The second was, why did they have to shoot the gorilla? Why couldn't they have just tranquilized the gorilla? Right. And the third was, what the hell were the parents doing that allowed the kid to end up in the gorilla enclosure, which is not easy to get into. Okay. Uh, and then there was a corollary to, corollary to that one, which is how dare anybody judge any parent because it could have easily been your kid that slipped away from you and ended up in the gorilla enclosure. Right. So this we ended up with this, this like, you know, the hydra 
of online conversation trademark that uh, <laughs> that, that I completely oh. skipped. I didn't oh. pay I didn't pay attention to it at all. I'm only obliquely aware of the the contents of the arguments. I didn't even see what the actual arguments themselves were. Right. Um and that got me thinking. It's like, okay, I didn't really engage in that at all. And I tell you, I am glad that I did not engage in that. Like, I, I, that might be my biggest accomplishment of 2016 to date was not getting involved in any of that and not even knowing it was going on. My question to you is, A, did I miss anything? And B, um, like, should I feel like I got away with like, you know, something really positive in my life by the fact that I wasn't even engaged? Cause I feel like I missed nothing. I feel yeah. like, I feel like I actually am richer as a human being for having not even seen most of this stuff. Okay. So there's actually another corollary to the online conversation. And that yeah. is the journalism aspect of this is why are we still writing so many stories about the, about the, uh, the orangutan and the boy? And is that good? And, are, you know, are we giving people what they want? And is that a good thing and a bad thing? And then CNN had a headline of like, Trump would, would Trump have shot the gorilla? And then it was all, so there's what, because whenever there's a big story like this, there is always the coral, the, the related, what does this mean for journalism? All caps, trademark, scare quotes. Um, because it's always, always about like, what does, I'm sure there's going to be a pointer think piece, four things you can learn about journalism from the orangutan story. Has Slate um, written about it? Yeah. <laughs> Slate, Slate would have been like the, li- <laughs> the, the real fault is the lion That's um, right. or something like that. <laughs> um, so um, I was only vaguely aware of this too. Um, you know, I knew that I knew the basics. I actually got on Twitter today Saw that people were talking about it, and my initial reactions were, really? This is still a thing they're talking about? And then I, I thought of the Homer Simpson where he backs through the gif of Homer Simpson where he kind of like backs through the hedge. Yes. And that's kind of <laughs> what I felt like today. Uh, so y- this is an accomplishment. You should be proud. No, I don't think you missed anything by it. Um, the, the analogous story that, I, that, that I've been thinking about since you, you kind of put this out there as a topic, and I was thinking about this today, is do you remember Balloon Boy? Of course you remember Balloon Boy. Yes. Um, I, I, I feel like that's this type of story um, where it's like really hot and, and, and really kind of popular for like four or five days. And, you know, I, I remember my first academic conference was the Midwinter, uh, Midwinter Conference with AEJMC, and this would have been... 2010, my first year of grad school, and there were no joke like three or four papers written about Balloon Boy, um, and obviously nobody cares about Balloon Boy anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, so I feel like that's going to be like this. Like, there's going to be a bunch of stories about the gorilla, uh, columns of, and papers about the gorilla, um, and it's going to fall apart. But you know, I feel like you know what puts a story into the online conversation uh, trademark is um, I think you have to you have to be able to pick a side is very important. So you have to do a, were they right, were they wrong? Who is at fault? Something like that. Something you can put in a Twitter poll, right? Um, so right. so kind of make that, kind of get that hot take. It, it really, really helps, I feel like, if parenting is involved. Like, where were the parents? Or what did the parents do? Because Balloon Boy ended up being a hoax. Like, they, the parents set up the kid or something like that, right? If I remember... Right. Something like that. Um, so I, I think parenting is a good thing because that that will fuel the con- the the official online conversation trademark beyond the first day of the story, and that will get kind of people talking about it. Um, I, I, I feel bad for the local reporter at every newspaper in America today that had to go to their local zoo and talk to the uh, zookeeper about you know what if this happened here, and every zookeeper would be like it wouldn't. Um, so, um, so, but you know that story, and that story, if there were still front pages, would be on the front. Well, there are still. It's a front page story. Like it's the story you're going to have to do um, tomorrow. So, um, I was trying to think of other elements. You know, obviously, you know, there has to be some sort of like weird, uh, weird quirk to the story. It has to be like I, I think it has to be like very like de- like, like a certain level of deviance. Well, like, like I, very I mean, out of the ordinary thing that's got to happen for it to have to enter the conversation. I don't know. I mean, like the, the one that I can remember that entered the online conversation zone. Maybe we should add a zone to this. Yes. The, o, the OCZ. Nice. Um, but was the 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 dress? Oh, that stupid thing. Yes. You know, I mean that 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 was a thing, a real legitimate thing for yes. like four or five days. Yeah. Um. You know, and 
you know the, the there have been dumb ones too. It's like with the because oh, the dress was a smart ta- a smart and a smart story. Well, I'm saying, I mean, like, relatively speaking, at least the at least there was a point to the whole dress thing. But like, the dress thing was meant to be right. perspective, uh, like like visual perspective is different from person to person. It was actually quite yeah. clever. By the way, uh, Pointer had not one but two think pieces about the dress. <laughs> he shakes his head. Ruthless. I really, I can't say anything. <laughs> I just, I really can't say a word. I wish, I wish, I wish you were sympathetic to my my plight here, but I just can't say a word. I understand. Yes. Um, um. You know, I, it's one of the things. I will say this: people like people complain about the meaninglessness of sport in in the big scheme of things, and then you know, without question, sport are you know there's not much meaning to them outside of the context that they're in and actually i think we get into our biggest trouble when we try to uh over contextualize sport within society to some degree um but i will say one of the things i enjoy about sport is that we can have debates and conversation within that context and it's okay like you, there's not necessarily a right or a wrong answer and i feel like that's something that even on the national stage on the on the internet stage like we're used to that now we're fine with that and i feel like the rest of society is now just starting to have experience with these things and mm-hmm. they don't know how to deal with it they and and, and this gorilla thing's a great example like this is it's not that big of a st- i mean how is how is this a bigger, maybe it is as big of a story. How is this a bigger story than the guy who jumped into the lion enclosure to commit suicide and they ended up shooting the lions? Right. You know, I mean, it's, yes, there's a parenting element to it, but most of the other elements are there. Um, it, it, but I, but you know, whatever the, whatever the root cause of it happens to be, why we've spent this much time on it just is it's beyond me because it's just not it's just not that interesting and it's and it doesn't it it's it feels like it's interesting for people who don't really understand what interesting is yes and i think part of it too you had holiday weekend so kind of a news vacuum from when this happened you had the long weekend so it was kind of like a slow not a lot slow news weekend not a lot happens during over, over the memorial day weekend and so you know the, uh, the the web pages still need their clicks. The social media still needs their shares. And this and this story comes along, and it's easy to like throw up the poll. It's easy to kind of kind of talk for, talk if you know to kind of talk about it in in, in that way. Um, and I don't you know, I don't particularly think it's interesting. What little I know about it is you know they probably made a split second decision, and you know you make a split second decision, and you make it like that. Um, do, I don't know. Do you I'm, think, but do you really think it's the media that are keeping this story at the forefront? I mean, to me, it seems just again from purely from outside observation after the fact, it <laughs> seemed like it was being kept alive largely by people continuing to talk about it on social media with each other. Um, hmm. Chicken and the egg, because I, I think a lot of these people are still seeing it circulating among media and are still seeing stories about it the day so it kind of keeps it fresh in your mind um but you know do do we blame media for that or do we blame facebook's algorithm for that oh that's a now that's a really really good that's where that's where i was going with this that's yeah because now all of a sudden facebook and as you know once you click on one thing of facebook you're going to start seeing a bunch more of that in your news feed so all of a sudden you're going to start seeing more on the gorilla because you clicked that one story on sunday to see what happened and now but at the same time, that content still keeps being made. Like people, are, somebody's still putting it out there for the a- algorithm to click to check. But the long story short, I think, is you nailed it this weekend by staying away from it. You are yes. the big winner here, and I did so. it totally by accident too. Excellent. Uh, so uh, before we get, to, I, I think we should end with your final question because I think it's a good one. Uh, but we do have some uh, listener questions from Facebook. Yes. As as always, the uh, the flip side guarantee: you give us a topic, we will talk about it for at least one minute. I uh, got a couple questions here. One, the first one is not from Facebook, but it is the first entrance into our uh, our into the podcast by my lovely wife, nice. uh, who doesn't listen, so she's not going to know if we talked about it or not. But I kind of feel compelled to say it. That's um, sad. She doesn't. That she she doesn't. She doesn't follow me on Twitter either. 
Um, of course, she lives with me, so she deals with she 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 deals with me on a full time basis. She wants us to talk about the alligator, the big alligator. Did you see the big alligator on Deadspin? I saw the big alligator. Um, and, and about how this is basically like dinosaurs walking among us. Um, and um, it's funny. I showed her this video tonight, and uh, it's one of those things where where you see it and you're like. You know what? You know we're dinosaur fans. We like dinosaur. We like dinosaur movies. Um, by that I mean we like Jurassic World and Godzilla. But um, you know we like lo- we we like reading about dinosaurs. We like dinosaur museums. We like dinosaur movies and all that. And and then you see this this the, the gigantic alligator, and you realize that if there was ever actually a real dinosaur, you wouldn't want to be anywhere near it. You'd be just hightailing it in the other direction. Um, you know, it, well, watch this. Th- I don't know if this gator is going to be proven to be fake. Um, because it kind of looks like it could be fake, but, um, but, 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 but still Get your non-believing ass off my podcast. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, I believe in the giant alligator. Um, so I don't know, would you like to see a dinosaur up close and per- a real dinosaur a, air quotes, real dinosaur, a living one. Yes. If, if it was an herbivore, sure. Yeah, that's what I always say. Like a brontosaurus, I'll give them a hug. I thought but... the brontosaurus were have been demonstrated to have not existed. I was very disappointed at that. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. yeah. That was always that because they they were always like the friendly dinosaur when we anthropomorphized them unnecessarily. Yeah. Like it was always like the, the they're like the, they're the like brontosaurus the is the friendly slow one. You know, yeah, and the, yeah, and the triceratops is like the tricky one, and the tyrannosaurus is like the angry one. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I. I sometimes I wonder if my whole like childhood wasn't just a lie because like half the dinosaurs we were told existed didn't. Right. And, and they then, actually had feathers. They didn't look like crocodiles now. They like had feathers and like markings on them. Right. You know, I mean, it's it's just kind of I don't know. It's I look, I think dinosaurs would be cool, but it's kind of like you wouldn't certain things just aren't meant to be together. And and I feel like humans and, and dinosaurs just really weren't meant to be in the same space. And yeah. that's I'm fine with that. Like I it, it'd be like if we had like a master race of cats. Like that would be a terrible place to live. It would I mean, we love cat we love little kitties, but then we know they've done psychological studies on, on house cats and they found that, you know, when they attack you they're actually trying to kill you. They just don't they don't have the ability to. Like they're they're physically uncapable. Um so you know, as mu- as cool as it might be, I'm fine with the balance of nature as it exists right now. I can I, I, I can get behind that, and anything that avoids a master race of cats, I think, would be a good thing too. So, all right, other questions. <laughs> that was the from- that was the Wing Commander series for those yes. of you who played video games. But yes, yeah. so we have uh, from my, from my good friend Steve Gatine. He he has two suggestions: Keynesianism or VD. Now I told I told him that I, I mentioned that we did discuss VD per his request a couple episodes ago, and his reply was aside, uh, in some cases it never goes away, so there's nothing wrong with revisiting it. Uh-huh. I mean, you got to you got to recognize that. Uh, but Keynesianism. So I'm going to let you take that one. No, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's, why, why, why am I addressing a th- an economic theory on this podcast? That's that's not really our wheelhouse. I mean, Keynes, like, what do you that's want me to talk? Of, you you want to like compare it to other like methods of of economic theory? I mean, what? Yes, go. I want to oh, see this. God, uh, <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I, it's 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 a theory of economics that focuses on on. Um, what on demand? I think I'm, I'm. I'm trying to go back and and uh, rack my brain about this. Um, I mean, basically, if you would like to consult Wikipedia, which is never wrong um, on this before, is I, I. That's what I did. You know, it basically is the idea uh, that that led to the New Deal and the stimulus package in 2008. It's the idea of you know basically one one of the tenets is increasing government activity. Uh, within the private sector, the, when the private sector cannot do everything, the the, the public sector can yeah. intervene. I, inter, intervene for lack I of a better word. If you want to talk about it in those terms, uh, look, I I I have <laughs> I think theory as a, as a social scientist, I think theory is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I think theory when utilized as a method of societal construct uh, has its limitations and can be rather dangerous. And I think that any economic theory 
based upon how theories generally work, is going to be inherently flawed by the... Because, I mean, look, what is economics at the end of the day? I mean, economics are, you know, are focused on the the flow of finance uh, or whatever passes as finance, capital. Um, but that in and of itself is a deeply political question. And, and I feel like to a large degree... Um, what works at some times in in human history hasn't worked at other times in human history. And right. the problem with that, from and this happens in political theory too, is that all you need to do is point to moments when your theory worked and it it can convince even the strongest of minds of the relative infallibility of their own theories. And the, sure. and the problem, I think, with Keynesian economics, and, and this is not just Keynesian economics, this is also the same with supply-side economics, it's the same thing with Marxist theory, it's right. that people don't treat them as theories, people treat them as truisms. Right. And, and, and I think the problem you run into, I mean, you could argue that the stimulus in 2008 worked, you could also argue that it, you know, it's it was like, it was like keeping the forest fire from clearing the bottom of the of the forest of all of the underbrush that allowed the the, the fire to start the, in the first fire place. to start in the first place. The New Deal, you could argue that that pulled the United States out of the Great Depression. You could also argue it prolonged the Great Depression, and what pulled right. the U.S. out of it was the World War, War machine II. that yeah. that grew up around World War Two. I mean. And I'm not I'm not taking a side one way or the other on either of those things, but I am saying that. It, Theories are great. Um, I get concerned when people start treating economic theory or political theory as truisms because right. when you apply it in the wrong method or at the wrong time, a lot of people end up dying as a result of it. And that's, right. that's I think, a problem. Right. And I, 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 it's an interesting idea because I think that you know, my extraordinarily limited knowledge of, of economics, but it seems like, yeah – you know, you know, the a, a Keynesian approach works in certain times, but wouldn't necessarily have been as successful, say, in the 1880s or you know, in, or, or in the 1950s or at other times. And that you, you that getting wedded to that theory, or to use a different word, get, treating economic theory or any theory as more an ideology than as a theory, I think, is when it gets dangerous. And I got to tell you, that is the hottest take you are ever going to hear on the internet this week about Keynesian economics. So bravo to you. Hey, um, you know, well done. I'm, I'm, I'm probably already on some like hate lists now yeah, from probably. The, the Keynesian uh, groupies. <laughs> Are there uh, Keynesian groupies? Is that, is that a thing? I mean, I don't, it's like, does the, la does the laugher curve have groupies? Like, I, well, I mean, I, I don't want, I don't want those things in my search queue. Are you <laughs> kidding me? That's terrifying. <laughs> Oh, okay, my friend Jared Pavani, what is likely more likely to make me money? My four hundred one k or responding to this email? I read the email. Yeah, um, I mean, this was this was this was your typical Nigerian email scam. Yeah, um, I think what's really going to make Jared money is investing in us. <laughs> well, it'll make somebody money, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I think, in, you know, I think the flip side. Uh, the flip side financial planning system. Yeah, I got nothing. Yes, due to our deep understanding of economic theory, we're hey, able to. Yes, we um, just spoke so eloquently about Keynesianism in detail that I don't see any way why we couldn't make people money. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I'm willing to give it a shot. I'm looking at this email, we can place a down payment with the Russian. I've never actually read a, a, a Nigerian prince email. With so, if we can obtain you access, never read to money, one. I don't remember. That's I think like I, not, I would, that's like that's like not being involved in the gorilla conversation. I mean, come I, on, man. But, but I but I feel like now you're you're, you're judging it as a loser. Um. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we can place a down payment with the Russian space authorities for Soyuz return and return. But what? Okay, interesting. So a guy's been in space from 1990, and my friend can get him back if he pays money, and he gets some money back. I think that's win-win. Um. All right, our good friend, friend of the show, Matthew Zimmerman. Um, we may have to table this discussion just for time because I feel like this could yeah, we're be. A, at an, we're at an hour. It's we're getting yeah, close. So, so I think we're uh, Matt. We may have to uh, respectfully table this comp th this until next week. Uh, Los Angeles versus New York City, which has produced a higher number of quality seminal rock bands, and he requests a top three from each. And he very very nicely gave us Wikipedia en entries to lists of bands from L.A. and lists of bands formed in New York City. The New um, York City list seems a little abbreviated i'm not gonna lie it, it really does especially compared with the la one um you know la has has an entry for every letter of the alphabet and new york combines them 
I would argue that maybe Mr. Zimmerman has a vested interest in one of these uh, having coming out ahead. Maybe yes, I, I do believe he has an ally. He he has a West Coast bias, is like all media. Which is fine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but let's see. I was thinking of the top. You know, trying to do a a very quick top three um, from all of these bands. Uh, <laughs> I tried. I I gave up. I yeah. It's it, it's tough. Um, I will say this. I. Like, uh, the Eagles were listed as a, as a band that came from L.A. Well, I mean, they, they they met in L.A., but none of them were from L.A., or very few of them were from L.A. I mean, Glenn right. Fry was from Detroit, and, and Don Henley was from Texas, and Bernie Ledden, I think, came from somewhere else. But, yeah. like, um, you know, it's like Buffalo Springfield. They're an L.A. band, but, like, all of their principal people, except for Dewey Martin, didn't come from L.A. So, yeah. you know... I don't know. I look. I, I don't think there's any question that in the in the '60s and the '70s, I think L.A. by far was mm-hmm. the more important of the two in terms of what they generated. I think early '70s. New or, or, York. Or, yeah, New no, York gets late '70s, early '80s. New York makes that comeback with yeah. Ramones, uh, New York Dolls, Beastie Boys era. Blondie. Um, yeah, Blonde, I mean, oh yeah. 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 Oh no. I, so you know, I think that's accurate. And and then I think you know. Then we start getting into 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 hip hop and and rap, you know. I mean, th- both made significant contributions. And then, um, you know, it's just I don't know. To some degree, I don't know. How much do you hold metal against L? I'm kidding. Joe's a joke. He's aiming to get to get Metallica, which always struck me as weird as LA because I always associate them more with San Francisco and Northern California. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, I mean that's a whole interesting discussion on you know where do bands come from, you know like you know do you form you form in New you form in L.A. but you know the Eagles are from five different cities are they an L.A. band you know just because they happen to all you know, interesting to some um, degree I, they are but to, but to some degree they are because I mean I, there is a there is a production ethos and there's a touring ethos that grows yeah. up in those cities and it's like where do you plant your flag and and you do have to think about like the number of bands that didn't come from those places that really made it big. And, what? you know, what it, they still probably had to go to New York or L.A. to record at least right. an album, maybe right. a couple of albums. Right. So I mean, Dylan's from Minnesota, but you associate him with New York because he comes out of that, that, that the, the, the village folk scene of the 50s and 60s. Right. Um, I'm going to pick New York just to, just to annoy Zimmerman. That's fine. Um, I'll pick L.A., but, right. but I do think this is – it would require both of us to change careers to really give this the the right. the amount of time it would deserve. It's a it's a it's a complex question, and it also depends on where you want to draw the line in terms of the music that you're talking about. Even yeah. So all right, we got our final question. We'll we'll kind of atta- attack it somewhat abbreviatedly, so only about twenty minute discussion from, <laughs> from what we do. So uh, it was yours. So what do you got? Well. I asked, and I, and I want to take the context out of this and just focus on the holiday. But my my question was basically, you know, I, I really I, I, had, I had a good weekend, and I was curious where you thought Memorial Day and the surrounding weekend landed mm-hmm. in the overall holiday hierarchy. And so that's a good question. You know, I look at this, and, and again, I want to take the take like the the reason for the holiday out i don't really right. give a crap about that. right all right, i care right. about is from from my own leisure perspective yes where do these rank and you know so basically we're talking about holidays where there's at least one extra day off under normal circumstances right that you would get in addition to a weekend and so you're you're basically at this point you're dealing with memorial day the fourth of july labor day uh thanksgiving Christmas. Christmas and New Year's. Not not counting Easter on that one because it's a Sunday. You don't, you don't get an extra day off. But you guys don't get a, an Easter holiday around there, like Good Friday. You're not going to count the Good Friday being I, off leading its Easter weekend. I, I certainly don't get Good Friday off. Okay, um, but I'll throw, let's throw Easter in just 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 because I I want to be inclusive. We'll throw Easter in. Sure. As well. Okay. All so, right. So so so, are, so, are again, we, so are Memorial we Memorial Day, Fourth of July, Labor Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year, Easter. That's your seven. So okay. where does Memorial Day rank in that hierarchy for right. you? Let, let me let me do this ranking because this is this is serious stuff. All right, number one is obviously Christmas. I mean that's that's the runaway number one. That's that's 
you know, that's that that for me, that's Golden State this year. Runaway okay. number one. Okay. Number two is Thanksgiving. I'm a big sucker for the holiday season. I think those two are clear, clear winners for me. So, so you got Christmas, Thanksgiving coming in at one, two. Um, I'm gonna go Fourth of July at East uh, for for at, at number three. Middle summer, always it you know fireworks, kind of community gatherings, parades. Um, usually come a lot of times. You know, usually comes in the middle of the week, so kind of get that bonus little vacation. You know, we're off thanks to our jobs. A lot more people are off, so it seems to be good. So that's three. So Fourth of July is third. Um, let me think. Then I think I'm gonna put. Uh, hmm. Let me think here, <laughs> because there's a severe drop off to me after the top three, big time drop off. Okay. Um, Memorial Day, I, it was funny. So I, we had a wonderful Memorial Day weekend, but it's always been very low on my list as, as for a holiday. Um, I I know you know where you live and are, and are from. Memorial Day is a much bigger deal with the Indy 500. It's a sure. much bigger thing. Um, so that, so that would be down down lower. Um, I've always thought Easter was a bit overrated as a holiday, um, to be honest. Um, my Catholic school, uh, my, my Catholic upbringing is revolting at that, but I've always thought it was an overrated holiday in general. So that's five. What am I missing? Oh, Labor Day. Uh, I'm kind of, kind of, kind of rank Labor Day and Memorial Day as about the same. It's like they kind of feel like almost like. The, the the celebration aspect again. We're not talking about the actual reason for the holiday, but the actual celebration of it always fe- feels to me like to be such a, a media narrative. Like it's the beginning of summer and it's the end of summer and it's a big deal and it's the first summer barbecue. It's the last summer barbecue weekend, and that just that 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 just never really does anything for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I would probably rank Labor Day first because it's in September, which is the second best of all the months. Um, so I'll probably rank that ahead of Memorial Day. Um, yes, I've ranked all the months. Of course, I have. Of course and then uh, what's what's the what one did I miss? Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving. You, you, the, okay. Um, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter. July, Easter, I have there. Labor Day, Memorial New Year's. Day. New Year's. Oh, um, yeah. New Year's is a thing. Um, I'll put New Year's Eve fourth. Why not? Okay. New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Okay. So where is it ranked for you? All right, so I'll go in reverse order from from uh, least least vital to most vital. Okay, uh, I will say I will say New Year's is last for me. Uh, okay, I, I think New Year's suffers from two things. Uh, one, it's 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 just it's almost like it's too much at that point. Like you've already had Christmas, right? And then you have a you have another week that you're just kind of in suspended animation, which is great. But then. New Year's happens, and you're just like, okay, like the, a lot of times the new, the, it's not a particularly important year. Uh, if you live in a cold climate, it's probably not great weather outside. Um, you can go out if you want, but then you can't in many cases because, like, like here in in Bloomington, there nothing's open on New Year's Eve in many cases because okay. it's because everybody's gone. Um, it just, it's never done a lot for me. And I feel like as I get older, it's less and less, it's, it's almost depressing. It's like, crap, it's 2016 now. Um, so that's my least, my least favorite. I'm not saying I hate any of these, but my least favorite of this group. Second, my sixth place is Easter. I think Easter suffers from, uh, the one primary problem, which, which is what led me to almost disqualify it in the first place in this, which is that you don't get an extra day off in many yep. cases. I mean, it's just like it's a Sunday, which makes it hard to travel. Right. I also think it's a confused holiday because on the one hand, it's like the, 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 the reason for it existing is there. But then it's also got the completely incongruous Easter Bunny thing. Right. going on and it's like that's odd if you think about it it's right. it's it's like the two don't i'm sure there's a there's a background where they actually do connect but it, on the surface it doesn't look like they connect particularly well uh fifth place for me is labor day and labor day to me since you and i have almost almost polar opposite season preferences right labor day to me is the gateway to it getting cold which i can't stand Okay, right. and even though it's still nice and warm, and you can do good things, it's also since we work in the education industry, it's like I'm really back to work now, and I've already been at like working for two or three weeks, and this is actually going to put a crimp in my teaching and research schedule. Right. Um, I have Thanksgiving fourth. Um, Thanksgiving is fun, but it's a lot of damn work. It's, yeah. 
you know, because I mean, like, I love family. I love seeing family, but but see, like, dealing with family that you don't deal with on a regular basis is a lot of work, particularly when you add kids to the equation, or if you have dogs, or or you know, whatever. Um, I would say, um, I I I would put Memorial Day third. Okay. Um, because it's kind of the gateway to summer to me, and it's like, okay, out of school. Um, I mean, Indy 500, whether you like that or not, okay, great, we've got that going on, but it's it's almost always finally warm, uh, you know, wherever you're at in the U.S. It's like mm-hmm. that's that's normally the gateway to it being warm, warm for a couple of months. Christmas, I would put second okay. and, and uh, for obvious reasons, and I would actually put 4th of July first because 4th right. of July feels like the one – I mean, the, the days are the longest of any of the holidays. It's actually about the same as Memorial Day, but who's counting? Um, and and I feel like it's it's the most easygoing of them all. Like there's no there's no real. It's a, it's completely celebratory. Memorial Day, you've got the you know salute the troops and salute those who died, and Labor Day has got some overtones to it that are a little mm-hmm. heavy. Easter's obviously got some heavy overtones, um, but you know, but, but the Fourth of July is is really very celebratory, and I feel like that's a vibe that we can all get behind. I, I'll, I'll buy that absolutely. Um, yeah, I've never like I, I realized my problem with Easter this year and why I dislike it is for me it's just a, such a very ostentatious and showy holiday. Um, you know, in terms of you know showing how you worship, showing you know kind of like the fancy you know. Fancy, fancy Easter dress and Easter wear and Easter bonnets and all that. And I just, I, that, 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 I realized this year that's what rubs me really the wrong way about Easter. Um, and New Year's Eve, New Year's, yeah, there is a, there is that weird pressure to kind of make it something more, make it something, like make it memorable or something like that. And you're right on 4th of July. There's that, there's that kind of ease to it that, that I really like, uh, that I really like too. So. Anyway, well, cool. I think we, I, I, we've helped a lot of people today. We really have. We've we've given economic advice. We've given yep. holiday advice. You can investment now, advice. Investment yeah. advice. You can now like you could you could basically do anything you want after listening right. to this podcast. Right, and you know what to do when you see a dinosaur. I mean, really, we've covered it all. You know, if you see a dinosaur, something's gone horribly, horribly wrong, <laughs> and you better. It's kind of. I've always. It's like I always have these panics where like. Society's gonna break down, and I'm gonna have to live like from like berries and like leaves. Right. And and I will. I and my, and my mom always was all on me to like learn what were edible plants and what weren't, and I never did that. And I'm gonna right. like go and die the first four hours that I have to live out in the wild because I can't figure out what's poisonous and what's not. <laughs> I feel that that's how people would feel with dinosaurs if they saw them. It's like crap. Was that? A- carnivorous or, or an herbivore right. or whatever yeah so just avoid them all together and i think you'll be fine folks uh, sage advice sage advice so anyway. um as always show notes will be at sportsmediaguy.com on the flip side tab subscribe on itunes on stitcher and uh we will be keeping up this tuesday recording schedule for at least one more week and then we may be going back to monday depending on how things work catch you so. folks on the flip side thank you see, see ya